You have arrived at your destination. that you guys could i wish there was a video feed happening right now so you could kind of see <laughs> see our, our our processes here our our disparate Will, approaches wills over there like asking me questions on yeah. structure and like <laughs> making notes on like things he yeah. needs to plug yeah man and i just poured myself a glass gotta- of bourbon <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, we know who drives this ship. Let's yeah. be honest. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, hey, I'm a good driver. <laughs> You're good, man. <laughs> you only, This is your first class. You're doing great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the Common Creatives podcast. Yeah. Just um, just one common creative talking to another? Just a couple? couple of... <laughs> couple of... Com- <laughs> that's never going to get... Should we call it... That's some- never... Should we call it something else? Is that uh, what you're going to say? Uh <laughs> Uh, no, no. I like okay. what it is. Yeah, it would be. It's already they're yeah. being released at this point. It would already. It would True. be a big headache. True. To try to, we got some sweet ass branding going yeah. on. So, yeah. For those of you, if this is your first uh, episode, which might be because we're talking about uh, somebody you might be yeah. into and and like to hear about. Um, yeah, for sure. My name is Joe. I uh, am a uh, composer and a writer and a musician, and uh, I'm sitting here across from uh, my oldest friend. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. What's your name? Oh, my... (laughs) (laughs) We'll pretend he didn't genuinely forget. My name is Will. I am also here, the uh, co-host of this here podcast, the the, uh, one of the drivers of this here ship, and I am a... um, The boat driver? I'm the boat driver. That's the technical term (laughs) for it. Like, if... Like I understand that you have boat captains, right? Yeah, right. But yeah. if you're like in a speedboat, are you driving sure. the boat? I think if you're in a speedboat, you call yourself a captain, and everybody hates it. Yeah, I think that's what you do. That's what I do. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I am a um, academic who studies culture, particularly comics and esoteric and occultist representations in comics in the 20th century i watch so. movies <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair i watch movies too so I you just know what's don't interesting always... about movies what is interesting about movies um, that's a great start to a sentence right there i i think uh what you call a movie says yeah. something about you okay and i i'm actually uh i've i've thought about this and yeah. i've uh chosen that yeah. movie is my word. Really? Over film or anything like that. See, I don't think movie is my word. I think I have a different word, but I'm not committed enough to use it. Right. I think my word that I would call it if I could, like, I also have this thing where I feel like I kind of wish everyone wore capes all the time and that was just okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I still, there's part of me that's still alive. Everyone, though? That wishes, everybody who wants to. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish that it was like wearing a jacket where you would just see somebody go, oh, well, they're wearing a cape. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? That part of me that's still alive, that, yeah. that sort of young part, wants to call them pictures. Pictures. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's the word I would like I actually, to use. I actually do use that word. Do you really? I use that word at work. That's very nice. Oddly. Yeah. We use the term uh, to picture. Oh, sure. In a um, technical sense, In a you technical use it. sense. Yes, that makes sense. Um, but I also, anytime I'm like on a kick of like, for example, listening to like Sam Raimi interviews. Yeah, yeah. I say that was a great picture. I know. I've heard him do that, yeah. right? Uh, and that that's probably where that's born in me. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Sam Raimi uh-huh. 
had lunch one day with Alfred Hitchcock. Whoa. And Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock... Holy shit. ...every day wore mm. a suit and tie to work, right. to the set. And uh, this is uh, Raimi, and this is also John Landis. This is a, a story about Raimi and John Landis yeah. through John Landis so, with Alfred Hitchcock. So for those of you who don't know, Sam Raimi directed The Evil Dead. He directed the Spider-Man films, the, mm-hmm. the first ones. And then John Landis directed uh, Animal House. <laughs> okay. Um, an American yes. Werewolf in London. Yes. Um, and a number of movies. So big, big deals. Lunch with Hitchcock. If you don't know who Hitchcock is, just yeah. go, go, go turn it off. Yeah, turn this off. Actually, at this point, I'm like, it may have been John Landis's story saying that Sam Raimi had the same conversation. Okay. But they were like, why do you wear a suit and tie to the set? Like it's yeah. it's strenuous. Yeah. It's hard. You have you should be comfortable. Should wear ball shorts. Yeah. And his roundabout answer was the craft and art of ce- the cinema should yeah. be respected. Yeah. And on my set, I wear a suit and tie. Mm. After that conversation, yeah. both John Landis and Sam Raimi never showed up on set without a tie. Oh, they on. both do? Yes. Oh, I knew Raimi did. Oh, yeah. that's so fun. And it's because Hitchcock said you should respect the craft. You know who else does that that we'll do an episode about Who's at that? some point is, if I'm not mistaken, Chris Nolan, right? Isn't sure. He, in every picture that I've seen, I've never heard him talk about it, but yeah. every picture I've seen of him on set giving direction, he's got a suit and tie. Yeah. Like he always, it's I mean, never even that presidential thing where you take right. the coat off and you roll the sleeves up, but you've got the tie on. Yeah. It's always full suit, full tie, full sleeves. Yeah. Like every time I see it, I think oh. that's classy as shit. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure both of those guys say picture. They say yes. motion picture. Exactly. You know why? Because they're, they're in old school show business. They're in old school show yes. business. Oh, it's and so good. And part of me really wants to be that guy. Yeah. But at the same time, like to me, like movie there's something magical about the term. I get that. Um, it's something that you just most people would would say we're going to the movies. Yeah, going to the movies. Um, and I unless I, that's just my choice. Unless, and I, I have to throw this in there as a personal side. Kendra, who you know, calls it the cinema. The cinema. Every time it's the okay. cinema. You go to the cinema to see a movie, and when you're in the uh, foyer where you buy the popcorn, you're in the cinema, but you're not in the theater. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. yeah. She doesn't like to generalize the No, it's not generalized. No, the the uh, the building is the cinema. Right. The particular room where the screen is is the theater and you're going to see a movie or whatever. Speaking of the yeah. cinema. Yes. And this will tie around to getting to where we're going. Where we're going. Yeah. Um have you followed um Marty, Martin Scorsese and um uh uh Coppola? No. And their their remarks on Marvel movies? Oh, yes, I have seen this. Um, yes. Tell so, us about this for those who aren't uh trolling those websites all the time you guys have seen the marvel movies yeah they're a big Um, deal marvel has accomplished something that that i would argue uh, no one else in uh, the movies or the cinema have accomplished and that is treating films um yeah like comic books or like a group of multiple films with multiple writers and directors um that the sum is greater than its parts right yeah that that sounds a little harsh, but it's actually a really interesting and yeah. a cool achievement. But there's a lot of spectacle. There are a lot of flashy things. Um, there's a lot of humor. Yeah. And I would argue a lot of heart. And there 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 have been a lot of filmmakers who have kind of retaliated against some of these uh, comments made by their heroes, essentially. But Scorsese was uh, was quoted saying that um, a Marvel movie isn't cinema. Yeah. So yeah. whatever cinema is is not these movies. He yeah. said he said sure it's fun to go to a theme park but it's not cinema. Cinema. Yeah. 
Coppola yeah. responded to that saying, Marty was being polite. He, sa- he said, he said, Marvel movies are despicable. Whoa, I didn't see that Quote, part. Despicable. And I think, I think I know what they're trying to say. Okay. I think what they're trying to say is the types of movies that they're interested in, these really super character driven, yeah. go wherever they think the story needs to go. Yeah. Don't worry as much about like, formula or 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 being politically correct or just yeah. just making this art piece right yeah they're saying that marvel and disney and these blockbusters are taking all of that those opportunities and money yeah in the theater and now scorsese's new movies coming out on netflix yeah yeah um so i think what he's trying to say is he's talking about to some extent he's talking about the death of drama at the yes. hands of the blockbuster but at the same time those movies aren't are still being made. Yeah. But no one's paying money to see them. No. They're not leading the charge right. of popular films for the year. Sure. Yeah. And I I I, I have a, a, a lot of thoughts and opinions on that. And I think Scorsese is probably a cinematic genius. Sure. And I do think that the heart of what he's trying to say, I, I agree with. Yeah. Um you see the sentiment that he's I, expressing. Yeah. The thing that he, the things that he makes and yeah. Ant Man aren't the same thing, and they're not trying to achieve the same. They're not thing. trying to achieve achieve yeah. the same thing. Yeah. But on the on the other hand, the creativity and art that goes into something like Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, and the heart, um, the characters and the story, sure, they're 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 very formulaic formulaic in the way they're kind of uh, digested by the uh, general audience. But yeah. to say that that's all that is is a theme park ride, I think is really kind of unfair, right? Yeah. Um, and James Gunn actually responded saying, Scorsese's one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to the Irishman. Yeah. But I kind of wish he'd give me a better chance. You yeah. Know, I'm disappointed. Oh, okay. Um, that's very graceful. But then he all, but at the end he said, he's a genius. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's very, um, that's a very graceful way to respond. Also, that makes me think, and this is a total tangent. I don't mean to take us in this direction, but also let's just, let me think, and I don't know too much about this world, but I'm sure creating a quality, a high quality, interesting theme park experience in and of itself takes a lot of artistic sure. talent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so that sort of reductionist thing is probably you know, beneath him. But, but there are, there are, so many arguments to be made about are they talk is 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 scorsese talking about spectacle color and comic books yes genre hard genre yeah because really at the heart of the move all of his movies his movies are inspired by the gangster movies of the 40s yeah right yeah the gangster movies of the 40s were the marvel movies of the time Mm-hmm they're mm-hmm. they're very formulated spectacle those the, yeah. their heroes yep. um high action yeah high action yeah. um sure intrigue um, plot they're you know, the marvel movies of the time um and you know I, I just think there's a a through line with these marvel movies and i could talk we're not talking about marvel movies, right here. right right um i think marvel has done a really interesting thing um i uh don't know that I'd want to make a Marvel movie as a director unless I got something like Guardians of the Galaxy where you could really do whatever you wanted. Yeah. Um, because Marvel movies are treated more like showrunners, so like a show. Yes. The director's job is less of, I got to bring my vision and more of, yeah. I have to, this is 
I've been hired to a, a complete and fulfill someone else's vision. Definitely. Um, the stories are pitched to directors. And, you know, if, if you've heard anything about Edgar Wright and Ant-Man, um, that's why he probably didn't make Ant-Man. That's yeah. probably why he left. But um, to kind of steer the ship back to our uh, our honorary uh, subject of the evening, yeah. Mr. Tim Burton, if you think about the movies that you're... I think, you know, Tim Burton, Sam Raimi, these types of directors yeah. um, have been uh, directors who have who've made multi-million dollar blockbuster genre movies yeah. in the last, you know, 15 or so years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some of which I think are um, still h- highly regarded. Uh, Spider-Man 2, for example. Definitely. Is good grief. Definitely. But I think there's an argument to be made that a lot of the the spark and the interestingness of Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, although I think it's kind of there in like your Alice in Wonderlands yeah. and your those types of movies. Like, yeah. Whatever it was that was Edward Scissorhands or yes. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Is not there anymore. And I want to I want to talk about that and I want to get there. Let me back us up though. Yep. Because uh, so that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. We're going there. Um, and there are going to be people who disagree with where I think both of y- you and I, we didn't talk sure. about this off mic, but where we will fall, I think, on those questions. Yeah. But nevertheless, let's go back. So we are talking about Tim Burton, right? So in the vein of directors who are, you know, uh, film directors who are people that you know, right? right? Not a hired gun, but a Tim right. Burton movie. I mean, we did an episode on John Carpenter. A Tim Burton movie is a yeah. Tim Burton movie and you know yes. it, right? So Tim I, Bur- I would I would argue more so yes. than a John Carpenter Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Tim Burton is a writer. He's a, he's a, uh, a director a, of pictures. I have a note about... Um, if you look back at yeah. his writing credits, yeah. it's kind of few and far between. Sure. Um, yeah. One of his biggest ones is he co-wrote Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. And then a lot of shorts before that. Yes. But as far as his feature work... He's more so producing, directing, producing, directing. Yeah, yeah for sure. He's uh, which also is interesting. It is. Uh, he's also a visual artist. Yeah, I and think he's an idea man. I don't know that yes. he's a screenplay writer. Some of his writing comes in the form of he did the story, right? So story by absolutely, um, which is different. Which is different, absolutely. So, but those ideas are are what make the screenplay work. So, yes, I mean it takes. It's both. a different skill set. It takes both. It's a different skill set. He's a visual artist and he's an animator. Interestingly enough, yes. So he's born in 1958. Um, he's 61 years old at the time of this recording, and I think what everybody knows him best for, and one of the things that we're going to talk about over and over, is the fact that he has a very particular aesthetic he has yes. a look he has a feel and you know it when you see it mm-hmm. um this tracks all the way back into his visual artwork that we'll talk about a little bit but it's heavily influenced by several people so i see several other visual artists so there's some like um what's the james and the giant peach raw doll mm-hmm. right there's some of him in there there's certainly some of I don't know if you know who Edward Gorey is. Um, no, he was. I'm probably not going to know much of this. Actually. He was an illustrator, um, and I I didn't read that Tim Burton was super into Edward Gorey. But for those of you who are out there, it just looks like him. It's sort of sure. it's almost like Charles Adams from the Adams Family. It's mm-hmm. this very contrasty sort of gothic-y type thing. Yeah. Uh, so I see some Edward Gorey in there, and one that I never thought about, but that I found when I was looking into Tim Burton is Dr. Seuss. There's a lot of Dr. Sure. Seuss in there. And I yeah. have never thought about it, but it's in there. Yeah, it's it's it, clear as day once yeah. you think about it. Uh, it's it's the 
exaggerated features. It's the curls. It's yes. the yes. tall as tall, short as short. Yes. Yeah. So Tim Burton worked at Disney Production Studios, right? Right. Speaking of Marvel, which is owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked at Disney Production Studios as a concept artist in the 80s before he right. started so, directing yeah, stuff. Exactly. So he was hired uh, by Disney. Um, yeah. And, and what, uh, what's interesting is that he actually worked on a, a, a few movies that uh, you probably would have never thought uh one yeah. being the fox and the hound i saw that yes uh, tron tron was the and, other one uh, i found black cauldron yes so yeah he was hired um and i think i think probably my goal would be to and, and i'm sure this was his goal would be yeah. to stay stay there kind of work your way up make stuff and then eventually yeah. you're going to be a director right yeah for sure um and he did that. And uh, what do you, do you have a the, the, his first short film? It um, was a claymation, yep. stop motion short film called Vincent, right, in 1982, which was super good. And yes. it's on YouTube. You can still watch it for free. Uh, mm-hmm. So look it up. It's about a young boy who idolizes Vincent Price, yes. the horror actor from the 1950s and 60s. And it's so obviously like it's Tim Burton as a child. It's so obviously yeah. Tim Burton, right? And Vincent Price ends up narrating it. Right. Yes. So he got Vincent Price How to narrate cool. the thing. So cool. So and also interestingly, Burton's aesthetic is often tied to stop motion claymation animation, mm-hmm. and so his relationship with his format goes back that far to eighty two. That's a yeah. that's a far way. And unsurprisingly, yeah. this story is about a young white frizzy headed boy. Yes. Who lives in a world of sort of normality. Very right? suburban. Suburban. Um, aesthetic, yeah. And uh, he, everyday he, American suburban. He essentially just keeps, uh, yeah. th- he's he's written this very kind of Poe-like poem yeah. uh, that, that that rhymes and, and, and goes back and forth between <laughs> yeah. reality and what he imagines his life as Vincent yes. Price to be. Um, and, and this mixture of bright normalcy, suburban life, and this gothic gothic little yes curly dark hunched yes creature yes. of the night yeah um and we'll get to it i mean it's edward scissorhands it is edward scissorhands it's, as it's well. this it's yeah. this creature living in yep. suburbia yes and you know this is obviously anyone uh who, who went through like an alternative phase yeah. uh growing up <laughs> yeah. in a small town and yeah. w- around normal people this is what it feels like yeah. to discover this. You know, the goth kids growing yes, up. It's of like, course. that's, you know, you're, you're finding, like, it's, it's, it's feeling unique for the first time. And to some extent, I think for Tim Burton and for many people, it's not a phase, right? You just don't feel like you belong right. where everybody else feels like they belong. Sure. Right, you want to be, and I forget the kid's name in in the character's name in Vincent. I forget what the little little boy's name is, but nevertheless, he feels at home walking through dark, dank hallways of an of an abandoned castle, right, with bats yeah. flying over his head. He wants to live this fantastical gothic yeah. type existence, whereas where he really lives is a sort of sunny suburban whatever. And mm-hmm. you 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 nailed it perfectly. This same contrast shows up in Edward Scissorhands, white, frizzy headed individual who is mm-hmm. internal and, and introverted yeah so at disney after after vincent um he gets an opportunity to create his his first yeah. live action short film yep essentially yep um i've never seen it um i don't know that you can find it on youtube i don't know that you can either i saw it at some point and i couldn't remember where i didn't look it up for this podcast but it's, i've seen it before it's from what i understand it's playing um it was shelved it aired one time okay 
uh, one night in 1983. Yeah. Um, it was called Hansel and Gretel. Yes. And it was live action. Oh, I thought you were talking about something else. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I haven't seen this. Yeah. Um, live action, super quirky, really kind of dark and weird. Yeah. And ends in a big kung fu fight. Yes. Um, was this not animated? This was live this action? This was live action. Interesting. Okay. Um, That's so cool. he makes this this live action thing. It airs one night, 1983. Yeah. Never to be aired on broadcast Never to be seen again. again. <laughs> Disney's like, nope, and yeah. shelves it. They're um, like, this is weird. And you can actually watch it at certain museums now. Oh, that's right. I yeah. did read about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he makes that. Then he goes on to make... Uh, this won't just all be a filmography, but his his early work is sort of all killer, no filler. So we got yeah. we got to talk about his early work. Then he goes on to direct, write and direct. I'm not sure. Uh, a short film, a live action short film called Frankenweenie. Right in 1984. I, I, I want to say he probably wrote Frankenweenie. I think that he did, but I I'm mean, not it's sure. It's super. It's like as far as a screenplay goes, it's 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 just the idea. It's just yes. super simple. Kid, and I haven't seen it in a while, but... Um, yeah. That's I, the one I was talking about okay. when I said I'd seen it. Um, this may be YouTubable. I'm not sure. I didn't watch right. it for this episode. But nevertheless, what is it about? Do you remember the... the yeah. Uh, so essentially, it's, uh, it's the story of Frankenstein, but it's a kid yep. living in suburbia. Yep. And his dog yes. gets hit and killed by a car. Yes. And he is going to Frankenstein this dog back to life you know crank it up and wait for a wait for a thunderstorm uh the the dog has the little bolts in his neck um yeah and it's it's essentially frankenstein yeah um frankenweenie frankenweenie there you go yeah Yeah. so he makes that in 1984 this gets him the job if i remember correctly i think this is what did it yeah well paul rubens sees this right but before that okay frankenweenie is very dark disney's like i don't know that kids are into yeah. what you're delivering. Yeah. And and this re, this is a reoccurring thing in his career. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're too dark, you're too weird. Yeah. These are kids. Yeah. Disney fires him. Yeah. He gets fired by Disney <laughs> because of Frankenweenie yeah. and this last short, this dog getting hit, you know. And it isn't until after he's fired by Disney that uh Pee-wee himself sees yeah. Frankenweenie yes. and wants to hire him for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes. Big Adventure. Which he does and Tim Burton directs Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 1985. Yes. And there's some Tim Burton feel in that movie. I haven't seen it oh, in a long time. Yeah, there's a lot. But, um, yeah. Well, and it's that Dr. Seuss thing. It's yes. like and the way it's shot, if I remember right, it's shot with like some wide lenses and close-ups and shot down low and it yeah. just feels weird and big and <laughs> yeah. uh you know Pee-wee's yeah. house is very exaggerated the features the things inside are just weird and big and correct me if i'm wrong but the show predates the movie right i mean peewee's playhouse is before the film this I, is not a peewee episode so i didn't look into it you know i didn't either and yeah. i'm not sure um, yeah. because like i remember peewee's playhouse and i think yeah. there's even a cartoon maybe there i think there was but to me sure. it's like i have a vague memory of that but it's the movie the i movie remember is, peewee's playhouse yeah the but, movie yeah. for me is peewee gotcha you know? Yeah. Um, which well, it, if the star could choose the director, my guess is that he already had some clout. Yeah. And the show would have already been running to some extent. Sure. Um, but nevertheless, he does Pee Wee's uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure in 1985, yeah. uh, which is a a big thing happened though with Pee Wee's Big Adventure with Tim Burton's aesthetic. Yeah. And this is something that gets overlooked a lot, and it's not just this. It's 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 a, it's many different elements of what a director does and chooses and on Pee Wee's Big Adventure um that's when he hired Danny Elfman 
for the first time to score a movie. Yep. Danny Elfman had never scored a movie. Danny Elfman is the singer of Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo. And he basically said, you know what, Tim, I, I appreciate it, but I don't know how to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, he's never, he's yeah. never, you know, he's never like, scored can, a film. He's before. like, I can write music. And, yeah. you know, this was for me when I started to learn how to orchestrate and, yeah. and I just played it into my DAW to my digital audio workstation yeah. because I have samples that are yeah. re- recorded actual string players yes. in London and Los Angeles, right? Yep. Yep. These are actual players that I'm, I have at my fingertips. Yep. This was long before any of that. So here he is on a guitar and a piano, you know, just yep. writing this music. Yep. And uh, I think I have his name written down. It's, uh, it's Oingo Boingo's guitarist, Steve Bartek. Uh-huh. Um, Basically says, Danny, I can orchestrate anything you write. Huh. I'll I will make sure the things you write can be played with an orchestra. And those two guys helped create the aesthetic of Tim Burton. Really? If you watch a Tim Burton movie yeah. on mute, it's cool. This but is a great point. It's not the same. This is a great point. And I think I think Danny Elfman's only not scored like two Tim Burton movies. Yeah, two movies. Very often, and that's that's a that's a fantastic point that's worth spending a beat on. And I'm the maestro. Which is that he's the maestro, which is that when we say the word aesthetic, at least when I say the word aesthetic, I tend to think about the visual. The visual. I think about the visual dominating, mm-hmm. right? But you're absolutely right. Film is not film pictures are not just visual no. in their medium. They're also oral that's painting. Audio. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's painting. Exactly. Um, and I've had this conversation um, a lot with with many people, like a lot of writers and a lot of filmmakers. Yeah. Because like if you have a story and you're 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 picturing the story and 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 you think you can completely convey the story on the page, you don't have a movie. Yeah. The movie is the you have sum what? of all of these. You parts. have what? A novel, maybe a comic. A novel, a comic, yeah. um, uh, and then a screenplay or a stage yeah. play. Or stage play. Good um, point. So, I mean, the other elements of a director, right? Yeah. Um, and and I should have done a little bit more research with Tim Burton specifically to see who he has and hasn't worked with and who oh. he's continued to work with. Yeah. But I, I just think it's important to understand that, like, Tarantino, for example, yeah. a Tarantino movie, yeah, is his taste. Yes, exactly. He's not accomplishing all of these things himself. Nope. That's a great way to put it. Um, it's his taste. And why? Let's why? Why do I say Tarantino? Tim Burton. Let's go back to Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Burton it's the of same, course. Same damn thing. Same thing. Uh, I don't remember who who the quote was from, but uh, it was that a, a director's job is to be the film's immune system. Yes. So when you're on set, it's basically your job again. Like I said before. It's your taste, yeah. your choices, your decision, yeah. and your direction. It's your vision. It's your vision. Yeah. Um, you're gonna be, you're gonna ha- you're gonna be working with so many people. Someone's yes. going to be lighting. Yeah. Someone's gonna actually. Like, and with Tim Burton, like, what's great about a lot of his early work yeah. is that he builds these huge like cities, like in Batman. Yes. And they're just miniatures. So yes. someone's built this for him. Uh huh. Um, from his vision. Yeah. But there are going to be so many ideas flying at you that it's the director's job to say no as much as it yes. is to say yes. That's a great point. That's um, the immune system that's thing, That's the right? immune system. Yeah. So it's not only saying, here's what I want, but it's also, you're working with people who are creative. You're not right. working with robots who are just going to do what you yes. tell them. You're working with people who also have their own vision. And the yeah. important thing is to make sure that the vision of the entire project right. is coherent, mm-hmm. right? The things hang together exactly. in the appropriate and, way. You know, when Tim Burton probably f- first started hearing demos, from Danny, he was probably like, 
that one. Yes. That's my movie. Yes. He's not saying, hey, do something that, that sounds like this. Yeah. Because he's like, no, he's hiring Danny because yeah. he, he, he loves Oingo Boingo. Yeah. And he knows what he's capable of. But the sound of a Tim Burton movie does not come from Tim Burton. No. It That's a great point. It is curated by yes. Tim Burton. And so to some extent, and I mean, this is the larger point that you're making, right? Mm-hmm. To some extent, a particular director's film a Tim Burton movie is a collection of people. It's not only about Tim Burton. Yeah. It is to some extent about the the choices that Tim Burton he's makes. He's just the department head. <laughs> exactly. And we tend to focus on him because sort of he's the leader, but all these artists are making this happen. Yes. Right? Um, that's a great point. And it's one that I'm sure we'll return to right. time and time again because it's so important. So 85, he makes Pee-wee's Big Adventure. In 1988, he makes one of my favorite movies of all time. And that is Beetlejuice. You mean Beetle Guys? Yeah, Beetle Guys. I love that movie. Um, <laughs> I I, I want to say there uh, isn't it. It's spelled, b- yeah, uh, not with our 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 our, our fruit juice, right? Yes. It's spelled with as guys in the movie. Beetle Guys in the movie. Although there is a reference where he's playing charades with Lydia, yeah. and he gives her juice, and they say juice, they say Beetlejuice, right, in the movie several times. But then they also say Beetle Guys, right, and it's spelled as Beetle Guys. So it's a very so, conflate. Yeah. I'm not it, sure. It, I'm sure there's a history there, but yeah. I don't know it. I this is oh, there's so much here. It's not horror. It's not a horror film. It's rated PG and it's no. one of the only PG movies that I've ever seen that a character says the word fuck in. And that always yeah. baffled me as a child. I was like, "Wait, he just said it, but it's a PG movie." But he we does. could do a whole we could do episode a whole Beetlejuice. on 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 well on the rating system. Oh, and we should. And I've we heard a lot of filmmakers point. talk about it. I mean, yeah. it's it's essentially like it's it's very secretive. Yes. Like no one really knows who these people are. There's a great like, documentary about this. Right on the day, if they're feeling like oh that feels weird and gross yeah. and sexual, yeah, then they're gonna say no, rated it's R. It's just their but own if it's weird. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just their own weird thing. Yeah. Um, um, but nevertheless, this movie, for those who haven't seen it, go watch this movie. What are you thinking? You haven't seen Beetlejuice? This is, yeah, come on. Come on. We're just going to shame you and the I remember rest of this as podcast. a kid, like, it's one of those movies watching as a child where you love it. Yeah. Um, you watch it over and over again, mm-hmm. but you still feel weird yeah. about certain things. Yes. Um, it's, and, and the weirdness is more of, it's, it's like frightening, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, because it plays with a lot. Of, it's a comedy, but it plays with horror tropes. I mean, it's about sure. exorcisms and ghosts and yeah. Um, yeah. Even like even I remember even as a kid like seeing feeling a, a, a man's voice come out of these people's faces, yes. even singing in a silly like. Learn as to throw a kid. your voice. Fool your friends. Fun at parties. Yeah, and yeah. it's like you love it, and it's like, but it's like, it's fr- it's frightening. It's weird. Yeah. It's 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 uh it's wonderful. It's a great vibe. It's a yeah. great tone and you know who lydia Dietz is don't you and i don't mean winona Ryder. no who i mean edward scissorhands oh yes of course yes she's the the pale the pale suburban child obsessed with death obsessed with death which is why dark frizzy hair Yes. yes, of course. Uh, so, okay, so <laughs> that shows up again there. Um, then we come to, so that's 1988, and then we come to 1989, which is just a, a in, an, an enormous year for Tim Burton and for films. And for us. And for us. <laughs> so I could say too much about this film. This was the year that, that 
made Tim, Tim Burton a uh, a sought-after filmmaker. Yes. So obviously he makes Batman, yep. what we would call now Batman 89. But he makes the film Batman. He casts Michael Keaton, which is an interesting choice because mm-hmm. up to that time, including Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton was a comedic actor. Yep. Uh, he casts him. He gets a lot of pushback, not only from the studio, but also from fans, this kind of thing. And let me just put up front, I can't have any critical distance from this movie i can't really speak about it as a critic in any sort of fair way sure because it's just it's in my literal subconscious like there's just no yeah there's no escaping it's one of my favorite films of all time i, th- I think batman yeah. and batman returns i probably watched i've yeah. watched those two movies more um yeah. in in total than any other movie i would yeah i'm probably the same way uh so nevertheless this movie's amazing it's one of the it changes the superhero genre of Mm -hmm. films because all that you had up to this point was donner superman it changes that um you know Uh, arguably it it it, uh it paves the way for dc uh movies uh and even marvel movies yeah um these grounded kind of real people um which is interesting because like you know, Batman is probably a little bit more grounded than Batman Returns. Yeah. But it's grounded in the sense that it's not idealistic, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, not grounded in the sense that, like, it's still Tim Burton. It's still, there's yes. still this magical. There is a magical feeling. feel more and so vibe in, in, to it. In, in, in Batman Returns. More so in Returns because he had more claim to what he wanted to do there. But nevertheless, Batman 89 is just, it also set up or furthered the sort of blockbuster model. Because not only did you have the film and the fantastic Danny Elfman score that's still, you know, um, he, yeah, he around won his today. first Grammy, I think. For oh, that. really? Yeah. Okay. Well, and that becomes once you hear that little run, that's uh, Batman forever. Uh, like not the film, <laughs> not the film. That's Batman from there on in. Um, yes. So not only do you have that, but you also have the tie-in of Prince. Right? Yeah. You also have this sort of tie-in of, let's get some pop music in there yeah. that's big at the time that'll just send this thing over the top. It's going to be the biggest yeah. thing in the world. And it kind of was. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, just to take take one step back to the casting, yeah. um, I, th- I think I read this correctly. Yeah. Uh, Warner Brothers, actually, uh, their stock uh, took a huge slump after the announcement of Michael Keaton. Yeah. Uh, so like I read that as well. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, you've got this. They guy. got letters. They got physical letters from people saying, "Do not yeah. cast Mr. Mom." Yeah. As Batman. Right? Um, but for like a, a, a company's like for their share price to slump. Yeah. Because of it is yeah. super interesting. Yeah. And to to have this filmmaker who's like, no, I'm casting. No, I'm this cast- is it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he and and you know Michael Keaton didn't necessarily even buff up for the He didn't buff up. He's also kind of a short guy. Like it's yeah. a bunch of things that that are interesting. But anyway, it comes out, it blows up, it's enormous, right? And at the time it was the biggest box office hit of all time. Yeah. Um but on top of that, the uh Warner Brothers had spent more on marketing and merchandising yeah. for the movie than any other film. At any time. other film. Yeah. Um which for our childhoods, like, yeah. completely makes sense. Like, Absolutely, it does. Um, I remember going to your house as a kid and just, yeah. and, you know, I had a lot of, I had, a lot of, I had so many versions of Michael Keaton's of course. Batman. Yeah. But going into your house, like, we both you had, did. like, I remember, like, maybe even cereal boxes and, like, oh, yeah. I just saved like, that stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, I was obsessed. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it was That's what I'm saying. So I can, all I can say is I love this movie. I can't have any real sort of I can't bring my critical faculties to it cuz it's just it shapes who I am. So but nevertheless, so Batman 89 happens. The next film that we need to talk about and I'm sure we'll spend a couple minutes here is Edward Scissorhands. Yes. Then he goes on to make Edward such a good movie. I mean, it's essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, it's essentially an update and a shift of Frankenstein. It's a Frankenstein story, much like Frankenweenie sure. is. Um, I, I, I do think that's probably a common thread um, in yeah. his stuff. Sure. Um, but uh, it's also like, again, it's it's him. Um, it is very much him. It's uh, The character, you mean. The character. Him. It's uh, growing up, like feeling like you don't know how to communicate with normal people. Yep. Um, this is that manifest manifested uh, physically and literally. Yes. Um, you have somebody who can't, who literally can't touch people yes. without hurting them. That's a great point. Um, and he has trouble speaking to them. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously look at him. Like it's a, he looks very different. Yeah. It's about being different in a world that expects normalcy. Right. Yeah. It expects certain things. Also, to bring this back, this is, to my mind at least, I don't want to say this is overclaimed, but like. This is sort of the Tim Burton movie to, in some ways. I think so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is. It has lots of those. It's fantasy. It's clearly mm-hmm. fantasy. It has, as we were talking about, that sort of suburban vibe going on because this town, wherever it is, I don't remember if they specify, is where Winona Ryder lives, is very suburban. Yeah. And it's pastels and it's all this it's bright and colorful and normal mm-hmm. and then you have this large sort of castle-ish jagged jagged gothic yes castle. thing overlooking it which also reminds me of uh the distinction in the grinch the grinch. whoville and that so there's some dr Absolutely. seuss in there for sure it's all, the, it is the grinch though, it is the grinch of. it's the grinch yeah. if the grinch was was uh was chill and chill and insecure <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and not just angry yes exactly and and the aesthetic by which i mean both visual and um, um musical you can tell it's thoroughly tim burton yeah it's not and to some extent it, i think this is the the paradigmatic Tim Burton film because it's not an adaptation of a previous sure. property, right? He's not adapting anything. Yeah. This is just all Tim Burton. Yeah, and I'd, I'd also like to say, and I, I don't know why I didn't mention this earlier, yeah. but Tim Burton and Danny Elfman's collaborations, yeah. and at the time I didn't think of it as Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. I thought of it as these movies um, are what made me want to write music for movies. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Edward Scissorhands, and especially Batman, and and even more so Batman Returns. Yes, um, because Batman Returns, and we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, but essentially, you know, like this is this is Burton hanging out in Burbank. Yes, as a child, and yes. feeling like yes, you know, this feeling like he he's not he doesn't blemish. fit. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't fit where he's supposed to be. So yeah, I think that's all I have about Edward. Um, it's it's a great film. It's worth watching. A lot of the same sort of threads that we've been talking about in terms of his um, artistic expression and right. obviously the team that he has put together. Yeah, I, and I think that I think the big thing to note is that like as far as his writing credits, like this is one of the one. This is one of yeah. the big ones. Yeah, I mean. If you just go back through and like I've actually have a bunch of Tim Burton movie scripts um, saved on my iPad just yeah. because I'm a nerd and I read scripts. But this is one of the only ones that has his name on it as far as features. Yeah, um, it's a it's it's a, a story by uh, Tim Burton and uh, that's what sucks is like I yeah, guess don't no remember. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, um, 
Well, and for our purposes, not that we don't care, we're focusing on Tim Burton. Yeah. So, uh, this brings us to the next film, which you already mentioned, Batman Returns. I this movie is so weird, and so I weird. love it so much. I actually, people hate this. Some people hate this. Some movie. people hate this movie. Yeah. I, I was actually on a podcast, uh, and we'll 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 mention the DNN later. Yeah. Um, but I was on a DNN podcast, and we were talking about all these. Um, uh, Batman characters yeah. and, and like different versions of Joker and different versions and we eventually get around to Catwoman. Yeah. And I remember uh having a conversation with a friend on the podcast and he's saying, you know, like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman it, it's ridiculous. J- Penguin yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. Like that's that's not Batman, but to me Batman returns for whatever reason as far as having real estate on yeah. my heart. Yes has more you know why why here's my take on this i think it's very personal because Mm -hmm. i have it too okay i think it's because it came out in 1992 and we were cognizant enough to sort of remember the marketing right sure whereas 1989 we were three years old i don't remember i remember watching that movie i have vague cloudy memories of that but i remember batman uh returns and that's what's so interesting um and and we'll, we'll get into this now i guess um sure so, you know, Batman Returns, like, basically, Tim was like, yes, I will make another Batman yes. movie if... Give, give me complete control. If I have complete creative control. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh, right? Yep. You know, fast forward just a little bit after the movie movie comes out. Um, people aren't happy. Yes. Um, people are, are angry that this movie is... It's too dark. Too dark for it's their children. It's too scary. So, the same reason he gets fired from Disney yes. as a young man... Uh, is this the thing about this movie that you know chill this is not for children yes but that's what's interesting is that to me watching it as a child there's something i don't want to say otherworldly yeah uh, but it's there's the the heightened nature of the fantastical elements of the story and and, and catwoman like um like yes. these these characters feel like they don't feel like real people they, they feel like don't. you know um and getting back into that kind of the if you guys heard our our Joker um episode like they feel like more mythical versions of these ideas of people for me as a kid you know this darker version felt more magical and therefore f- i hold kind of yeah. closer to my heart well and here's my read on this movie as i was thinking it over and this is another one that i have trouble having any distance distance from so take this with a grain of salt but i think you need to approach batman returns as a tim burton movie and not necessarily as a batman movie i think sure. i think batman returns is a monster movie in disguise as a batman movie right right it is not because i mean think about what he does with both of the characters right the penguin is not just a gangster like he was a fat gangster like he was in the comic books he was a mutation he, he's yeah. a mutation he's a literal penguin he's yeah. raised by penguins right catwoman is not just a cat burglar who happens to dress up that way she is literally resurrected from the dead by these cats yeah. in an unexplained way and i think and you can see a little bit of this in batman 89 where he seems to care more about the joker's transformation than he does about batman's arc to some extent sure and but, but it but isn't that yeah. I mean, look at the Nolan movies. Like, sure. Aside from Batman Begins, like, yeah. the dark, the Dark Knight is it's Harvey it's, Dent's it, arc. It's about Harvey, yeah. and it's about the chaos that True. Joker brings to their lives. True. So some of that is inherent in the Batman mythology. Yeah. Regardless, but I think from a Tim Burton perspective, it becomes yeah. about not just criminals but monsters. Right. Yeah. They're they're both are pseudo supernatural 
It's a monster picture. Sure. Um, <laughs> is my read on it. Anyway. Right. And and I, I, I kind of struggle with that a little bit. Sure. I, I feel like I probably would have agreed with you more a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, not that I'm disagreeing necessarily. Right. right. But I, I, I'm starting, and again, we talked a little bit about this in our Joker episode, so if yeah. you haven't, haven't listened to that, go check it out. Go check it out. Um, two parts, both good. Two-parter. Um, you know, growing up, if I had only seen those Tim Burton Batman movies, yeah. That's Batman to me. Sure. Like I understand that like the the Frank Miller's year one is is so much more grounded. It's about gangsters and yeah, mobsters yeah. and like sure, maybe that's the idealistic or the the best version of Batman. Mm. But to say that like, you know, that the penguin can't be a monster. Oh, um, sure. You know, you know, Batman the animated series, he kinda is a he little is. penguin guy. He you is. know? So yeah. like it, it, it all feeds in there's not just one thing. No, there's absolutely not. And but at the same time, I do understand approaching something that's kind of so wildly different than what you're used to. Yeah. Um, and saying that like, well, this isn't really Batman, but I liked it as a movie. Like, yeah. I, I I'm a little hesitant to say that. I understand that. that. I I guess what I mean is not don't I I don't think hey as a Batman fan you need to watch this as a sort of Elseworlds thing. I think it's fine. I think it's this could be your Batman mythology that sure. you love, you know, and all this stuff. I guess my point is that Burton's sympathies always lie with the monsters in whatever story. Yes. So even insofar as his sympathies lie with Bruce Wayne and Batman, it's it's with a Bruce Wayne and a Batman who is small and neurotic. To some extent, yeah, he's not a big billionaire playboy. You get like, nuts, let's whatever. get nuts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He's 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 the Tim Burton version of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I'm not so I'm not saying it's not Batman, but I mean I do think even if you want to say that the focus is on Batman, it's still a monster movie. Batman sure. is a monster in these movies yeah. to some extent. No, absolutely. I mean? um, and I, th- yeah. I and 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 this uh, this is actually an interesting thing to to consider as well. Sure. These movies are. Tim Burton movies. Yes. Um, and I think that's the point you were trying to make as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, Definitely. To where I'll say, I'll say, I'll say this. Yeah. Watching Tim Burton movies mm-hmm. um, as a child, going on to watch like Sam Raimi movies like Evil Dead when I was a teenager. Yep. And then like uh, Spider Man and kind of seeing what he was doing that was very much Sam Raimi. Yes. Um, those were the movies that made me realize. That somebody was making them. Yes. That they weren't. They didn't just exist. That they weren't just this. Yes. I know. Oh, this mean. is obviously how how a story goes. Exactly. There um, are choices being made. There are choices being made. Yes. And not only choices being made, but interesting and very unique choices being yes. made. Yes. Um. And again. And choices that have some sort of coherence across different pieces of work, right? Yeah. You can see some of the same camera movements in the Evil Dead series as you can see in the Spider-Man films, right? Right. Uh, similarly with Tim Burton, you can see the same artistic and musical choices being made in various Tim Burton movies. Right. I mean, this is sort of how a movie becomes a Tim yeah. Burton movie, right? And, you know, I, I think a, lo- a lot of... Uh I think DC, like even recently DC yeah. as a company yeah. with Warner Brothers, they kind of have taken pride in what they've accomplished as far as their directors who do have a very like strong voice. Yeah. Uh, taking these characters and making them their own. Yeah. Um, I think starting with Batman, sure. uh, starting with Tim Burton, and, and then passing the torch to Chris Nolan, making it a very like uh, real world cop drama, but very much yeah. in Nolan's voice. Yep. Um, 
And then, you know, Man of Steel did the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. maybe it didn't work. Sure. Out. And, but yeah. that, that was their goal, right? Whereas yeah. Marvel... Um, They're looking to not have more so cohesive product, product across the board. They'd rather you think less about how the movie's being made and more about yep. this is the character in the story and yes. this is what you see and, and, and it yeah. feels the same in all of these It movies. feels the same. Yeah. Um, feels more like real world... Yeah. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy, so I can go see Thor 3, and yeah. it'll be, yeah, absolutely. So I think, coming back to Tim Burton, I, th- I think you see an overlap in aesthetic. I don't want to explore this too long because I don't want to go on too long, but I think you see an overlap in his aesthetic and his choices in Batman Returns and Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Um, a couple of things in there, big use of snow, both are sort of Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. You have this timeless, placeless hints of suburbia yeah, um, it's the, in it's, both. Yeah, yeah, it's the juxtaposition yeah. of of normal suburbia yes people and goth kids of uh, 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 of dark things yep. and white snow and we see this again of, speaking of snow of christmas and halloween christmas and halloween right? yes exactly which he ended up producing but not directing didn't they call it they they marketed it as tim burton's a nightmare yeah. before christmas so um yeah. He he didn't direct it, and, yes. and the reason he didn't direct it is because it took three years to make. Yeah, and he was he was actually he was uh, doing Batman Returns. At he the was time, producing right? Batman Returns at yeah. the time. Um, and w- just w- one more note on Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. Um, one one of one thing that I never th- I never even thought about as a kid. Yeah, I did, but I didn't realize I thought about it. Was that like you had a lot of overtly sexual tones? Oh yeah. Um, Batman Returns, yeah, um, and not just sexual of- tones, but sexual tones surrounding what we would, what we, not me, we, but like what society would consider abnormal sexualities, right, right, um, like fetish, fetish, yeah, fetish stuff. That's Catwoman, yeah, like of course BDSM um, stuff. And you know, for for me as a kid, it was just like Catwoman was, was my first like big crush. Of course, you know, for me it wasn't of like course. anything weird. No, <laughs> you know, uh-uh. it was just like. Yeah, I, I just it, it just shows how like how out of touch like adults are. Sure, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> sure, like which to, is us now, but yeah, which is us now. But yeah. to say that like to say that like Tim Burton w- was this this yeah. this kind of uh, terrible force for children, and <laughs> right. we're like everything about that movie was like it's okay. It's all like, wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's all great. Um, so yeah, he was he was producing Batman. Uh, forever at the time. Batman Returns. Ba- yes. Or uh, no, Batman Forever. Oh, he was producing Batman Forever. Batman yes, forever. yes, yes, yes. Um, well, that that's a whole another whole story. other thing. He essentially gets fired again, right? Yeah. Um, and Batman it, Returns was too dark, too much fetish stuff, too much Danny DeVito spitting um, out black blood. Yeah, but yeah. he 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 does have some cre- some creative license yes. in, in it. Um, but the director um who will not be named. Yeah, <laughs> you can look him <laughs> I'm, up. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, threw neon lights in it. Um, yeah, and nipples, uh, bat and, nipples, bat nipples. Um, yeah. and for me, even as a kid, I heard it and felt it, but I didn't understand it. Yep. No, Danny Elfman. Nope. No, Danny Elfman. Um, they tried. Hey, I'm somebody a, I'm tried. A, I'm a big film score nerd. Ask yeah. me who who scored it. Who scored it? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect answer. Um, um. So anyway, the Batman films go on, whatever, whatever. But we're looking at Tim Burton. So the next film that we need to talk about, I think. Okay. And so let me say this, just as we're going down through the filmography. My assumption is that we're going to spend a lot more time on these early films that we've been talking about, and we're going to get to a point in some of these films where we're spending not much time at all, is going to be my yeah. guess, and we'll talk about that. But I do want to spend a minute on this next, uh, these next few are, movies. Are you going... Uh, are, are, we, we, we still need to talk about Nightmare for Christmas, right? Oh, go ahead, yeah. please. Yes. Um, 
we can't just say that it exists, right? I mean, fair enough. Uh, uh, I guess it's enough of a Tim Burton staple. So, so he 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 didn't direct it um, yeah. because it took so long to 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 make. Yeah, but he created the entire thing in his head before it was ever. This is one of the cases where he didn't write the script, but the story is based on his idea. The story is completely based on his idea. All yes. the characters, all the 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 beats, and and and. A lot of the creative team is the same. Danny right. Elfman does the music. He he's the Danny he's, Elfman is the singing voice of Jack Skellington. Exactly. But it's all in those ideas that he, these these ideas that he has that yes. like he's creating these worlds that people of our age growing up like I wasn't sure how I felt about Nightmare Before Christmas because of how beloved it was by yes. a lot of Yes. people yes um hot topic the fan all. base for nightmare before christmas is very different than the artifact itself of the film nightmare before christmas yes right yeah you um, can divorce the two i think yeah. certainly which but, you know um, those I, people are you fine know, but, arguably at this point like nightmare nightmare before christmas might be a bigger tim burton uh staple than anything it's a good point um even though he didn't direct it he didn't direct it no but, but it's um, once again it's not only about who sits in the director's seat it is to some extent about the creative team yeah. that is that is assembled and sure. if a different director assembles a similar creative team based on a story by tim yeah. burton you know you might and, get a very tim burton looking you know, product if you look at dr- like any drawings of yeah. tim burton's the characters on that were created for this stop stop animation thing are straight off of the page. Very of, much of his high school, you yeah. know, notepad. His visual art and his early work at Disney. I yeah. mean, it's the same. And you if know. You, uh, if you haven't, you should look up drawings of his Batman characters too. Very cool because they feel like a Nightmare Before Christmas Batman. They certainly do. Um, you yeah. just couldn't make you can't, just can't make actual people look like that. Yeah. Um, so let me ask this, just in terms of uh, just to have fun, really quick. Let me ask you this question. Is Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? It is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a preference? You don't have you don't lean one way or the other? Um I don't think so. And you know what? Actually it might be a Christmas movie to okay. me. Okay. Yeah. Um and I think the reason being is that Christmas spirit and Christmas joy is yeah. something that I don't like to experience unless I'm in it. Okay. Um yeah. So to to have Christmas stuff happening during Halloween feels weird. Good. Whereas in Christmas time, bring yes. on the bring on the dark and scary stuff Dude. all year long. Dude, you're almost saying exactly what I was going to say. Really? That's the exact Yeah, because I don't mind getting some Halloween up in my Christmas, yeah. but get that Christmas out of my Halloween. <laughs> Absolutely. That's essentially the reason. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a Christmas movie. All right, so he does that. Do you want to go on to his next direction movie? Next um, few? Uh, do you have Ed Wood down? I certainly do. I, I I'm gonna make um um this is this is more speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. A filmmaker like Ed Wood, yeah, at the time. So Ed Wood was a, a real filmmaker, real person, a real person, mid 20th century, um, yeah. who made super schlock, schlock horror sci-fi. Yeah, just pulpy, yeah. just yeah, not like. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm a filmmaker. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make a picture. He wanted you know? to make him. He wanted to make movies more than he knew how to make movies. Yes, and you can see it. I mean, um, we'll do an episode on Ed Wood sometime, maybe. Yeah. So the way I feel about Tim Burton, um, being kind of masterful and making decisions, yeah. and making me feel like I could be a filmmaker because I see what he's doing, yeah, and I understand that that's some that's what people do. I think in a similar way, yeah. but on a different level, 
Tim Burton may have seen Ed Wood and say, I can be a filmmaker. Yes. And I think that's one reason that Ed Wood is such an, or even if you want to go there, early Sam Raimi are such interesting. I mean, Sam Raimi's better than Ed Wood, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's these people who go, I could do that. And then they yeah. do it. And then the generations that follow them and look at their artwork and say, oh, get, there's no gatekeepers. Nobody just says, hey, you can make a movie. You just go and you just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So he makes Ed Wood, which is essentially a biopic, um, somewhat fictionalized about the horror sci-fi director. He works with Johnny Depp again, which he mm-hmm. becomes very well known for doing. The film is in black and white. It is. Which is uh, great. And Martin Landau is amazing as Bella Lugosi. He yes. plays the actor who was the original Dracula in the 1930s, and which it, is it, super, super cool. And it is super, super cool. And and, and there's this, uh, this kind of reoccurring... Uh, there's this running joke of like Lugosi versus Karloff yes. uh, as as who who is who is like the um, horror movie icon. Who's the horror guy? And he doesn't he say like something like I mean I want to say Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi says something like fucking Karloff or something yeah. like that. Like he's super pissed at the guy who played Frankenstein. It's very funny. Um, but this movie's funny. It's well done. It is more to some extent adult than some of his work. Sure. Because it's it I, it still engages with that pulpy, schlocky aesthetic, but yeah. it does it through a biopic type way. It does it through a, a, a real world, yeah. But the character who lives in fantasy, yeah. So it's like yep. this guy who, same... who creates fantasy, but yep. it lives in a very real world. And absolutely, it, you know, there are, there are very real world moments of like uh, where Lego. Uh, Lugosi's character, you yes. know, passes away, yes. and they have to make this movie without him, and 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 the way he he kind of figures that out, yeah. Um, it, yeah. if you haven't seen Ed Wood, you really, really go see Ed Wood. It. It's one of it's. I think it's one of Tim Burton's best movies. Yeah. It would be it would be top four or five for me. Which definitely. is interesting. Um, it, it's the first rift, um, between um, yeah, between Elfman, Elfman, and and Tim Burton. Yep. I think he hired Howard Shore. Who went on to uh, make a little mo- little trilogy called the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, probably heard um, of that. Not one. make it, but score it. Um, yeah, it, it completely works. I think without because he's not he's not creating his own world. Yeah, um, and I don't think you have to have Elfman's flair for that. That's a good that point. Sense. That is a good point. Yeah. All right. So the next film that he does after Ed Wood. That I have down. Maybe you have other things. I uh, notes wise. I don't have notes. Okay, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> that's, you had some notes. Don't. Uh, I had some notes. Don't be fooling these I had people. Some notes. Don't be fooling these people. Also, if you claim you don't, I have don't notes, have my references down at the bottom like an academic right. paper. <laughs> <laughs> I went with uh, MLA form for this particular episode. I and remember it, that. Yeah, I I always go with Chicago if we're talking real talk. I like Chicago. I like footnotes. Anyway, so. The next film that I want to talk about is a film that, to be honest, is near and dear to my heart and is, I think, uh, important, I don't know, important, but showed up in our friendship a lot. Yep. And it was 1996's Mars Attacks, Mars which Attacks. was a great movie. Now, I remember <clears throat> sitting with you in uh, yeah. my parents' attic <laughs> yeah. watching this movie. <laughs> And there's yeah. just this one part. It's actually oh, kind of God. really sad because it's like this this old woman yeah. who who's experiencing dementia. Yeah. And her grand <laughs> It's the caseworker from Beetlejuice, same actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and and her grandson who is not named Thomas. Yes. <laughs> His name is Richie, right? Richie. Yeah. Um 
he'll he'll say something to his grand grandmother yeah. and she'll say i know thomas yeah <laughs> and i want to like no he says she says uh i want something she's talking about what she wants and right. then she goes she goes and i want to see richie and he goes grandma i'm richie and she goes i know no, thomas, thomas. <laughs> <laughs> we wore that out we wore that out we listen to I, I that wanna, so many times. Yeah, and I want to say like I would respond to you and vice versa with <laughs> I know Thomas. Yes, we would. To just we stuff. would say stuff and we would say I know Thomas. Um so aside from that sort of personal closeness that we have to this film, this is based on interestingly enough a uh, science fiction trading card series. Did you know that? I didn't. It is. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't know much about Mars Attacks yeah. in regards to the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, because the last time I watched it was probably in high school. Oh, was it really? Honestly. It's been that long. And uh, I wasn't thinking about the movie as a Tim Burton movie. No. I yeah. just thought it was a very funny, silly sci-fi movie. Well, and at least my understanding of it is it didn't do super well. It had an all-star cast. I mean, Natalie Portman is in this thing, Jack Nicholson, Glenn Close. Um, who else that I'm forgetting? Jack Black well, Natalie is Natalie Portman wasn't somebody it's true. Yet. not at that point she hadn't even done her print her true neither I, was i know when i can <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> neither was jack black at that point yeah. um but nevertheless it had a it had a lot of people who either were or would become very important actors but it I, it's a hard tone to read that movie you should go back yeah. and watch it is it I'd, a, I'd is really it a, like to is it a parody i mean it's clearly it's it's using a lot of the tropes of the 1950s sort of nuclear space aged alien invasion movie yeah but is it laughing at it? Is it just you know what? an example I, of I, it? I, I, I'm just making this connection right yeah. now. Is, is is this Tim Burton's Ed Wood movie? Yeah, exactly. This is one theory on Mars Attacks is that is this Tim Burton just making an Ed Wood film? Because the visual effects are so-so, but that's yeah. intentional. This is a big budget yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a it's a weird tone to hit. It's pure schlock. Tom Jones is in it. I forgot about yeah. that. It's pure schlock, but it just doesn't make itself clear as a parody, really. Yeah. It could be just what it is, which is a silly Martian invasion film. And also, it right. was read at the time because of just circ- uh, like uh, coincidentally when it released, it was read as a parody of Independence Day. Right, the, the Will Smith big blockbuster yeah. alien invasion movie, and, and you know what? It might might have been a little ahead of its time. Like when yeah. you, when you see movies like, and and it's odd because these movies were both written by the same writing duo, but yeah, Zombieland, uh huh, and um, Deadpool, um, uh-huh. they're not parody movies, no, but they they play playfully in, make fun of their genres. They play in that space of like it could be parody, but it's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. So he makes Mars Attacks, which is a cool and weird movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Uh, in 1999, he makes Sleepy Hollow. It's a cool atmospheric film. It's very Halloweeny. I and, watched part of it earlier this yeah, year. And and you know what? It, it it makes sense for him to get Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. But I don't know that he really brings much of himself to the movie that yeah. you expect. Yeah, f- from Tim Burton. Meaning what? What would you expect that um, wasn't that wasn't present or it lacked a like? I I think the character was dark in general. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it it just lacked like a a a unique tone. Yeah. I think I think it's all in tone. Well, for me, yeah. I mean, depending on how you want to, 
I almost think this was like the start of the Tim Burton that we know now. That's it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. And I actually have that in my notes. I think this is a bridge type movie for me. It's a yeah. bridge between the Tim Burton before this and the Tim Burton you get after this to a large extent. Like sure. it's a sort of prototype for when you end up getting Sweeney Todd and Alice in Wonderland and Dark Shadows. You start getting all these things in his career. I think Sleepy Hollow is the first sort of example of it. Yeah. And I think I like Sleepy Hollow in the way yeah. that I don't like those other films very much. Um, or I'm not interested in them, I guess. But at the same time, I do think it's a sort of prototype for yeah. here's what you do when you want a Tim Burton movie. You put Johnny Depp in it, you get Danny Elfman to write the music, you get Helena Bonham Carter, you make it dark, and it's a property that's already been made a half a decade ago. Yes, this a property is not that, something out of his head. It's the Burtonification of something. Do you yes. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they do that with Sleepy Hollow. Again, super cool movie. Like it's it's atmospheric. There's a lot it's of fog and pumpkins it, it and stuff like that. It feels good to have playing on the background. Exactly. It's kind of boring. Kind of boring. Yeah. Yep. So he makes uh, Sleepy Hollow. I don't have too much more to say about that. I think that's the important thing is that it's a bridge yeah. to Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken with filed down teeth. That was um, a cool choice. That was a cool choice. Yeah. Which we didn't talk about him in Batman Returns. He was phenomenal. But oh uh, yeah. Yeah. He played Max Shrek in Batman Returns. And you mm-hmm. know who Max Shrek was? Who? Max Shrek was the actor who played Nosferatu in the silent film. Oh, that's, that's pretty who, great. That's who Max Shrek was. Anyway, um, so he goes on to do Planet of the Apes. I have literally nothing to say about Planet of the Apes. Do you got um, anything on Planet of the Apes? No, I, I, I yeah. think the most interesting, interesting thing about Planet of the Apes is uh, Matt Reeves. Yeah, who fair enough. In turn, that's is, later. in yeah. turn, is doing the new Batman movies. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> so there's an interesting connect connection that is, there. That is an interesting connection. Um, yeah, the next movie that's that's a Tim Burton film that I want to spend some time on, and I know you do too. Yeah. is Big Fish. Right. So Big Fish is <sighs> Big Fish is a a new leaf. Yeah. I think for it's a, Tim it's Burton, it's a shift for him. I, I want to say with like, uh, for example, like Big Eyes, and and maybe even yeah. some of his like his his brighter um, Disney movies yeah. that he's done, like Dumbo, which I I never saw, and Didn't I, see I'll probably I'll probably see I'll it. see it at some know. point, I'm sure. But it, it's it's almost as if his creative self is he's allowing his creative self to grow up a little bit to not be that dark loner anymore. Yep. Um, and, and and it almost feels like a caterpillar blossoming a it little does. bit. It um, does. Visually, uh, in tone. I think Big Fish certainly feels like that. I think Big Fish feels like it's, it feels to me the closest like a movie for grownups that, right. that he has made. Ed Wood yeah. certainly is a movie for grownups. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it, there's, a, there's a level of sentiment and emotional depth that you yes. have here that I don't think you have in a lot of other Tim Burton movies, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's not to say those other movies aren't good. I, I think those are great. Yeah. But this is a true character study that... Or not character study, but, you know, it's it's character-based. It's about relationships, and it's yeah. about... And he found a way, or he found a story. He found a way to make it magical. He found a way to make it... He found a way to both make it magical and make it non-magical. Yes. Right? And this is why the other film that I mentioned when I said grown-up movies is Ed Wood, which he also finds a way there where there's nothing magical going on. But he can use those fantastic elements and aesthetical choices... Um, in the telling of a story that's completely just on the ground yeah. and realistic. And I, th- I think something else that's that's interesting about uh, yeah. Big Fish is it's the only Tim Burton movie I can think of that yeah. I know if I watch it, I will cry. You will, yeah. Um, and it's I, I don't so know... so good. It, what's interesting, actually, now that I'm, I'm kind of... I haven't really thought about Tim Burton 
in his in his entire career and yeah. his works as a whole until yeah. now because that's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> sure, yeah. But Edward Scissorhands is about a son or a son. It, it's about sort a, of a child who can't communicate with the people around him. Yes, and this movie is about a son who eventually learns how he can. Yes, how to. It's great. That's um, a great point. In 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 the last moments of his father's life. Yes. Um. Who can finally meet him where he is? It's yeah. It's breaking through that communication barrier. Yeah. Absolutely. And once again, it's about a father who is sick and dying who tells fantastic tall tales. He tells tall tales like yeah. He won't. That's the key tension in that story is that he won't. He, he won't open up to his son about what quote unquote really happened. Actually happened. What actually happened. Don't tell me the story about it. Tell me what really I, happened. Yeah. Right. Um, because all the father's stories involve creatures and beings and all yeah. this kind of, you know, and, and, and adventures. Adventures. And, yes, exactly. And so what you get is this father son story that has a way to incorporate a lot of those Burton esque, yes. fantastical elements. And so it's such a good, this is Maggie's favorite movie. I went, yeah. I went, it was I, my favorite movie for a time. Yeah, I think I, maybe if I watched it again, I would decide that it is my favorite. It is. Movie. It is a great movie. It's a wonderful movie. But what's so what's so great about it? it, it the the way he ends the movie, yeah, is he has essentially says you have you have polarizing yeah. viewpoints on the world. Yes, you have this father who he chooses to see the world as an adventure. Yeah, and he tells those stories that way. Yes. and each time he tells it, he makes it a little wilder because. Yes. That's how he likes to live. Yeah. You have this son who's like, you know, isn't he, is he like a lawyer or something? I forget the character. I forget the character's job, probably. Something a little on the nose, probably. Uh, yes. And, but to some extent, it's almost in rebellion to his father. He has learned to read yes. the world as just a series facts. of facts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have these, these very polar opposite, opposite views of the world. Yeah. And it ends with a funeral. And yeah. at that funeral, you see yeah. that it's, both of those things. It's both things. It's somewhere in the middle. Is, is it a woman with two heads? No, it's it's no, it's twins. It's twins. It's yes, these women who exactly. you know, it, it like there's a very large man and there's a very small man. Yes. And like And they're not as big or as small as he put as he said they were in his but, stories. But but they're it was there based in it, reality to yeah. some extent. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, as as wonderful as Big Fish is, as fantastic as the story is. To me, to some extent, it reads as a missed opportunity, not in and of itself, but as a missed opportunity for a sort of new direction in the career of Tim Burton. Sure. If we had had Big Fish followed by other films in the sort of similar vein that incorporated this Tim Burton, Tim Burtonism into this more fully rounded, interesting films for grown-ups... Yeah, I think that could have been very, and I'm not saying what he did was bad or anything. Sure, but I'm just saying I think it's not good. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion. Uh, so let's talk about Char that. Actually, uh, actually, you know, Char Charlie, yeah. Char uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 2005, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Let's talk about um, that. I think there are things to like about this movie. There are. I'm not ever going to say any of his stuff is just trash. That's no. not my conclusion. Um, you know, Danny Elfman had a ball with some of the the Oompa Loompa songs. Absolutely. Um, the the actor that plays Charlie is 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 very very mm -hmm. good. Um, yeah. And goes on to play Norman Bates, right? Uh, yeah, I think so actually. Yeah. Um, and it's closer to the book. It's closer to the right. narrative of the book than the um, the nineteen seventies film was. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I remember watching it. Yeah. You know, the first time I watched it, and I was so used to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, that 
Johnny Depp's take of this character was wrong. Yeah. It just didn't feel right. Yeah. And I think this is actually the start of uh, in Hollywood. So when you're growing up, you're very imaginative, right? Yeah. Imaginative. Sure. And Tim Burton was very imaginative. So he would draw all these pictures. And so he wanted to make his first short film. So how does it, how does he do that? He he takes his hands and he sculpts these this character and he starts taking photos of this character and moving at every frame. Um, so although he's very imaginative and his yeah. imagination it probably is is limitless. Yeah. The things that he can make are limited. Yeah. The same thing with Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, what does Gotham City look like? Yeah. Well, let's build it in a smaller sense. Let's t- put it, in, take it with our hands, build it, yeah. light it, and shoot it, and that's Gotham City. Okay. Fast forward. I see where you're going. You're imagining this thing. What can you imagine? How can we make that? You can make anything, anything you imagine. Anything you want. Yes, of course. Um, without question. Yeah. Um, with the advent of digital effects. As long as yeah. you have the budget for yeah. uh, computer-generated effect forms. So, so the assumption, the principal assumption there is that if you have enough money to throw at something and you make it digitally, that's the key problem solver. Yes. Right? That's how you solve the problem is you throw enough money at it and you make it digital. Right. Right? Which filmmakers are learning, hopefully, is not the is it's not the one shot silver so. bullet right. that they thought it um, was. So I think <clears throat> that's an interesting point, William, that okay. you made regarding yes being able to throw money at things yes so some might argue that that cgi in general is the problem and i I think there is an aesthetic that does um separate um some especially me like for me i I get taken out of the story sometimes when something's created by a computer yeah i think a lot of Um, people do and but it's over reliance over reliance on that but in 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 other news Mm -hmm. um watch a david venture movie and yeah. almost every shot is is affected in some way with 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 computer graphics, and you don't know. Yeah. Um. So it, it's just a tool like anything else. But I I think the problem is when you have so much money to to throw at this problem, mm-hmm. and you think you have to create this big world, and like the idea is that each problem you have, you throw money at it instead yeah. of 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 rewriting the script to um limitations. I think can yeah. be um. Your best friend. When Absolutely, you're, when, when they can. When you're creating something. Yeah, certainly. Um, if, you have to have uh, bounds within which to create right. and if, play. If Edward Scissorhands had had been a two hundred million dollar movie, um, yeah, it, it would have not been um, charming. It would have not been what it is. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure there are other movies that talk about Dumbo, blah blah blah, blah whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of want to bring it back to to my Martin Scorsese thing here. Okay. And kind of the reason I even brought that up at the beginning, yeah. other than the fact that it's is big news in the world so, of of films. Really quick before we do that, can I throw out a couple films and we'll just mm. ca- take them as a catch all? Like here are the, you know, when to do this. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just saying in this late stage, Tim Burton, Alice in Wonderland. We're not going to talk very much about Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, right? Big Eyes to some extent, Dumbo. I never saw Big Eyes. I didn't see Big Eyes or Dumbo, to be honest with you. Um, but nevertheless, I'm just talking in terms of appearance of what Tim Burton has going on. 
Right. Um, I want to see big eyes. Dumbo, maybe. I'd like to see it, yeah. But um, certainly, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, these are all pre-existing properties that they have Tim Burtonified by putting Johnny right. Depp in it, usually, or Helena Bonham Carter. And, and a lot having, of money. And a lot of money and having Danny Elfman score it, right? Right. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, bring it back to Scorsese. <laughs> so, we, we live in a day and age where... Um, you have many different types of movies being made all the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of movies that are made um, yeah. daily, yearly, um, yeah. monthly, uh, uh, and, and, and released in, in some form or fashion. And yeah. actually, more movies are being made today than ever before. But when you think about the movies, you think about wide theatrical releases, you think about studios hiring production uh, teams to to make uh, scripts on pre-existing intellectual property with stars that you know. Yeah, I mean those are the movies, right? Yeah. In in Martin Scorsese's day, like you know when he was making like Taxi Driver, the wide theatrical releases didn't look like what they look like today, and what they look like today is uh, reboots and existing intellectual properties. Yeah. Um, and that's one reason the Marvel movies are so successful and the superhero movies are so successful is people know what to expect. Yeah. But the other side of that coin is not just that people know what to expect and that they're successful. It's that more, more money per movie is being made on when you're making a movie for $200 million. Yeah. You have to, you're, you're planning on making a billion, um, with that movie. Right. And when you're spending that much money on a movie, you have to rely very heavily on what's going to work. What's going to be recognized to some extent. Right. right? And, 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 and the last thing you're going to want to do is take a big risk on $200 million movies. No. So I, I, I do think when you're, when you're looking at <clears throat> Marvel movies, you can see a thread of uh, a, a formula of, what works and what doesn't. And yeah. not that you can't see that in a Scorsese movie. Of course. But it's been refined, yeah. especially with Marvel movies in general, that yeah. like, this is the arc, this is the hero's journey, this is the first act, this is the second, and here's the third. Yep. And here's the spectacle scene, yep. right? Or the spectacle scenes. And it's not it's not to say that those things aren't good or aren't valid art or any of that stuff. Right. But it's that particular goal. As you said at the beginning of the podcast, right. Ant-Man and Taxi Driver aren't trying to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the marketplace right now with these, the movies that you're going to hear about as a general audience member are the movies that people are spending the most money on yeah and are are going to be the more often than not are going to be um less risky right yeah i would view um both tim burton um and i, I like to throw sam raimi in there too sure. because they kind of they kind of came up together and they're yeah. similar yeah. they have very similar career tra- trajectories it's true um where you know tim burton made alice in wonderland uh, Sam Raimi made Oz the Great, and you know, yeah, they're the same. Yeah, they both work with Danny Elfman. Like they're yep. the same. <laughs> they're the same, same kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. They both have very unique voices of their own. Yeah, I would argue that both of those um, filmmakers made their career in genre. Yeah, due to risk. I, I think. Sure. I think taking big risks uh, on their style is what what made them, uh, what gave them their voice and what made them unique. Sure. And they grew into a marketplace that d- 
did not... That was risk-averse. That, that was anti-risk, right? Yeah. And I think another thing that's interesting uh, to kind of piggyback on uh, off of the risks that they took kind of um, in their start, yeah. and Tim Burton especially, Yeah. you know, he's a genre filmmaker. Sure. And eventually, I think the marketplace started to re- reward genre mm-hmm. in a way that it hadn't before. Yeah. Um, I think growing up... Um, and I used to hear my sister talk about this all the time because she uh, was cre- a creative writing major and yeah. a hard genre, fantasy, yeah. um, that kind of thing, writer. Yeah. And she was told over and over again, and I was eventually told over and over again that uh, genre, fantasy, um, horror, any of this stuff yeah. isn't literature. Sure. It's something else, right? Of course, yeah. Um, There's a Western literary canon, right. and none of it's um, got vampires and, in it or right. whatever. Yeah. And you know when I when I was in school, um, the the term was a uh, literary fiction. Yeah, and that essentially meant a very grounded yeah character person. Yes, um, who had a very unique voice. Yeah, that um talked about themselves as a character and not mm. not necessarily what happened to them in plot. Right. Yeah. Um, where genre it's, is very plot based. Yes, it's. Fitzgerald, or it's yeah. Catcher in the Rye, or it's right. Kerouac, or whatever. So yeah. I, I, I think there's this there's this entire um, group of uh, people that obviously still exist that I think think that genre can't live in uh, what Scorsese would call cinema. Yeah. So essentially, what he's saying is yeah. genre is not cinema. Yeah. Right. That is what he's saying. Um, yeah. And Tim Burton is. Nothing if not a genre filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. And so to some extent, it sounds like what you're saying is you get the clearest glimpses of how genre uh, in these uh, sort of hard genre in these in these types of ways can be cinema. You get the clearest pictures of that early on in Burton. Yeah. Right. Uh, when he's sort of, I don't know if allowed is the word, but he takes risks sure. earlier on as opposed to the later portions of his career at least as far as i'm familiar with them which feels more like a plug-and-play tim burton right yes. it's the instagram filter of mm-hmm. tim burtonify something yeah um and and yeah. In, in that sense like i i uh understand and agree with scorsese yeah um i just i i think his terminology um and i actually my dad put put it in a very interesting way he said he said you know what bothers me he said yeah. you have Somebody who is the best at what they do, who is a, uh, the top dog. When you think of filmmaker, you think of Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and he's walking in and he's putting people down. Yeah, it's like he's taking True. like these people who love yeah. him, who like who make these movies, and and he's their hero, and he is he's punching down at them, yeah. even though they're making more, they're, they're making the big bucks. Sure. So, so you could argue that he's punching, but up, he's but, more important, but he's more important. Yeah. And he's punching down at these people who, yeah. who grew up with him. You know? Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I think that's what bothers me about it. It's yeah. less about like, we all understand that these are different things. Yes. And, and I'm sure he's frustrated that the general audience isn't looking at those types of movies like he wants them to. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and the same thing with Tim Burton, like Edward Scissorhands being made today um, and, and being released uh, wide in cinemas um, would not put butts in seats. Yeah. Peop- the people know what they want. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're vocal about it with their yeah. money, right? Yes. 
And there's a bunch of reasons for that. I mean, and there's many, yeah, there's sure. many reasons for that that are all social and cultural and technological, largely, and et cetera, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. Uh, Edward Scissorhands isn't going to get made for that budget in that particular way and yeah. released wide today. It's just not. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. But yeah. there are many Edward Scissorhands being made today. Yes. And more so. And more. And um, you're probably just going to have to see them on streaming. Yeah. You're not going to see them released wide. You're, you're going to have to find know, them. You're going to have to know the names to look for, et cetera, et cetera. They're still there. Those filmmakers of are... It's not that exist. art. It's not that cinema in Scorsese's sense of the word. It's not that that's dead by any means. It's probably more alive than ever. It just doesn't exist in the old format. The old yes. world is not there anymore, to some it, extent. It, 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 it's not a commodity. In, yes. In that, you know. Yes. So let me uh, let me throw a couple ideas at you because we came at we came at Burton quite differently. You're talking about sort of Burton's place in the cultural history of cinema economics to some extent cinema cinema um burton ain't cinema right you're talking you're talking about his place in the sort of economics of filmmaking and so forth uh and how that works out in terms of what films get marketed and what films get wide released and sure. all this kind of I, stuff i i think i just find that interesting because of that's, course that's the business i'm in oh uh, right? yeah and it and it is inherently interesting and so when i came to look at burton and we both went through the same filmography to a large extent we've seen a lot of it i thought about burton in terms of whatever the the specific meanings and the specific artistic influences that he has what those are sure. so a couple of things to, to say about his art that I took away from, I took sort of Burton in a vacuum, right? I'm not looking yeah. at uh, Marketplace or anything like that. It seems to me that Burton plays in a sort of, he plays in the space of a type of sort of gothic expressionism and surrealism. So it's very clear that he's influenced by movies like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, yeah. which if, you, if y'all haven't seen, at least watch some clips of it. I sure. don't know that you need to watch the whole thing, but it's influential enough you need to at least watch some clips, right? But the German Expressionism movement, right, and Gothic Expressionism were movies, and it was a broader art movement generally, influenced by, interestingly enough, developments in early 20th century psychology. So you had this notion that in the 20th century, you got this notion that there was something called a subconscious, right? There wasn't only this normal, everyday world that we experience, right? That's right. there, but all that stuff, all the ways we behave, the way we respond to people, all this stuff is influenced by this unseen, untouchable sort of world of our subconscious, right? And it's all coming out of that, that flubber gunk in our head? Yeah, flubber gunk going on. So it's a, it's a flubber gunk-based theory. Electro um, flubber gunk. <laughs> But there is this, you know, it's Freud, basically, right? There's this daytime level of conscious experience, but there's also this sort of subconscious world where you might have emotional things that you don't even realize that heavily influence your life, right? So there's this sort of shadow world underneath or existing right. alongside the sort of conscious daylight world. And these expressionist films and this art movement really reflect that. So when you watch... German expressionist films, you see a lot of high contrast. It's a lot of darks and a lot of whites. Film noir is very influenced by this stuff. Sure. You see a lot of like harsh angular backdrops and things that wouldn't exist in the real world. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Sort of mm-hmm. dreamscapes and stuff like this. And so 
early Burton especially very influenced by this but all the way through man it's 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 harsh angles of weird you know it's that Beetlejuice shaped door right it's all this kind of stuff that well, you, is, it's you can, a dream and, world and you can see it all in his first short he yes. ever made yes um when when he's when when uh, this little Vincent Price boy is walking up the stairs yes these, there's these kind of uneven jagged stairs leading up to something um and and it's and I even want to say it's like cut right down the middle black yes. and white and yes it's uh it it's, feels like a dream yes exactly and so my takeaway when i sat with burton's stuff and i rewatched vincent and i watched this uh there's only part of it actually but you can find it on youtube it's called it's this animation that he did for disney that got rejected called the stalk of the celery monster that you can watch part of and he's okay. animated the whole thing it's super cool but when i watched that and i thought about beetlejuice and everything from beetlejuice to mars attacks to all the way through my conclusion was essentially that Burton's work as an artist, the theme that he keeps coming back to is duality. Right. There's this twofold nature of things, right? And so whether it's visual, so visually it's light and dark, you mm-hmm. know, um, but also sort of thematic duality of the conscious and the subconscious or the real world and the dream world, right? Um, that comes from expressionism, right? He's yeah. he's watched a lot of stuff like this. And it's also that contrast that we find or that we talked about in Edward Scissorhands and Vincent and all this stuff, this contrast of this brightly lit suburban middle America type world yeah. with cookie cutter houses and bright colors and I, then the gothic world. And right? I think that's what's super interesting about yeah. thinking about the light and the dark. Normally when you think about that, you're thinking of like good and evil or, yeah. or uh, morality. Yes, and he he's found a way to like Mm-mm. really not make it about that. Not make it about that. Um, even in Edward, the 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 example I think of is Edward Scissorhands, where yeah. it a little bit becomes about that because he becomes like this a little this bad thing. Yes, but um, if you also think about that, the all American good guy in that is which is Michael whatever whatever his name is the guy is, from the Breakfast Club. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Yeah, he's awful. Right. Awful. Yeah. But he's the pinnacle of the sort of light world, right? He's yeah. the good guy. He's the football player. He's the all star. He's all this stuff. But he's the bad guy, right? Yeah. This is why Batman makes so much sense for Tim Burton. Yeah. Not only is it duality in terms of Bruce Wayne and Batman, right? But it's also duality in terms of light and dark with a clown and a bat where they're inversed. They're inversed. Right. Exactly. So the yeah. dark thing is the good thing and the light thing is the bad thing and all this stuff. And it just, uh, as I was thinking about all this stuff, or Beetlejuice, right? You have you have this ghostly subconscious world that exists right among the midst of the living, right? right? The ghosts are there in the house, all this kind of stuff. And I think you just see that all the way through. You see this contrast, light, dark. You see this duality all the way through his work. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that doesn't say much about the place of movies or or how they're sold or anything. But I think just in terms of his artwork, I think yeah. that's something he's done a lot of thinking about and that he expresses really really well. Yeah. Right. Or even whether it's big fish, right? You have sure. the fantastical world and the real world. Yeah. You have this distinction. And and I I again I haven't seen uh, big eyes or anything. Yeah. But like yeah. I, I almost I, I almost want to say that big fish was the last great movie he ever made. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, as far as I've seen, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yep. I would agree with that. Final thoughts on Tim Burton. Anything else we left out? I mean, that's my take on it. You got uh, yeah. so listeners. I mean, you're welcome. You got not only insight into the place of Tim Burton in the history 
of essentially the the economics of the distribution of film, mm-hmm. right? But you also got, if I do say so myself, very astute critical understandings of the cultural meanings of the dichotomies. I would, it, I would call it astute. Okay. All right. Yeah. Of uh, yeah, astute understandings of the the themes of duality in the works of Tim Burton. Um, duality means two. It does. Yeah. It right? does. Yes, it correct? does. Duality. Yeah. Yeah. It's a du- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So you got a rating for us, Joe? Do you um, have uh? What, how do you want to put uh, Tim Burton there? Let me think about this just for a second. Feel I would free. give. Um, do I need to? Do I rate Tim Burton as a whole, or do I rate my prime Tim Burton? You do what you want, man. You do I, what you want. You know what? Yeah. I'm gonna rate my prime. Tim Burton. What does that mean? That means you're going to take the best of Tim Burton and rate that. Uh, that's not fair. Right. That's not fair. Okay. I I I almost want to rate Tim Burton as as, as how I view Tim Burton. Sure. I don't really t- view Tim Burton as a modern a modern blockbuster filmmaker. Yeah. That's what he is now. Sure. Um I don't really see him as that. No, I get um, that. Cuz that's not what most is most interesting in his career. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give Tim Burton 8.75. Okay. Hell here neon signs. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's very very good. Yeah. 8.75 is what you went with? Yeah. Okay. And 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 if I'm being honest like Yeah. His his later work really like takes that average down. Yes. But my Tim Burton Yeah. just like Batman Returns is my Batman. Yeah. He's pushing nine. Yeah. He's as far as the... I get that. The thing that you love about the Halloween season is prime Tim Burton. It certainly is. You know? Yeah. I'm going to say that I'm going to give Tim Burton... I'm going to give him a clean eight. Okay. I'm going to give Tim Burton a clean eight out of ten banisters that turn into beetle guy snakes that's what i'm gonna give him eight (laughs) out of ten uh we've come for your daughter chuck that's what i'm gonna say uh Uh, that was a very good michael keaton oh thank you thanks i appreciate it um thanks for listening to common creatives uh the podcast where you get it gets wild now it gets wild where you get the authoritative take on people like tim burton decided to do do this episode on tim burton just because it made sense and like I started like reading up on like the thing like Tim Burton and remembering my childhood and I'm like, oh, there's an episode here. Like Yeah. Yeah. We make it is. we get wild. We do get wild. A couple things I want to say before we let you go. First of all, this is a DNN podcast, part of the Destination Nation Network. Uh, please go and check out the other wonderful shows on the Destination yeah. Nation Network at destinationcomics.com. Please go listen to there's them. There's some good stuff. Good stuff. Good show. There's a really on there. great show on uh, if you're into animation. Uh, yep. And uh, I actually uh, composed a lot of the themes for a lot of those shows. Yeah, he did. I did. I'm uh, the maestro. He's, and I, that's it, what I do. He's who they call the maestro. Yes. So, uh, also want to make sure, uh, please send us your suggestions for things you would like to hear us talk about, and we will consider them. Reach out to us uh, either at Common Creatives Podcast at gmail.com if you want to use that sweet, sweet electronic mail, or if you're on the Instagrams, please reach on out to uh, it's on Instagram. We are at Common Creatives Podcast. So, please reach out to us and let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Yeah. Uh, if you if you guys want to follow me on the social media, I am a uh, I, uh, Instagram is an at 
Yeah. Is it's it an, an at? I think it's an at. Is it an ampersand? We'll go with an ampersand. No. It's an ampersand. That's and. That's and. Yeah, this is an at <laughs> sign. It's an at sign. Yeah, at Joe Stockton. Easy. J-O-E-S-T-O-C-K-T-O-N. Uh, that's so much easier than mine. Yeah, Um. Uh, and on, I'm on Twitter at uh, Joseph J. Stockton. Ooh, so that's like, very good. Yeah. That's very good. I'm not on Twitter, so you can't follow me on there. Don't try, please. I tweet every now and then. I, I enjoy Twitter for other reasons than I do... Um, instantaneous grandpa. yeah on instantaneous grandpa uh please look me up at willer clowns from outer space it's like the movie killer clowns from outer space except it's got a w at the beginning so uh feel free to follow me maybe i'll let you maybe i won't i don't know i got my private account right now but nevertheless follow us at common creatives podcast and check in with us talk to us let us know what you think let us know if you want us to talk about something in particular and as i said before we will consider it yeah we probably won't do it we probably won't but you know who knows <laughs> we'll say we thanks might. thanks for the idea we uh, might we have yeah. ide- we, do, we, we might like we don't have any ideas no we have no we're i not, don't know what the next one's gonna be i'm not very a cr- very creative person so i <laughs> think we need to rely on our the common creatives <laughs> and our audience base oh my goodness do you concur doctor i i had a canker sore once Ooh. And I'll never forget it. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I concur.